we will go ahead and get started. Just last fall, Mike and I were, we just decided that the current state of life is just getting harder and harder on families, on relationships, on marriages, on kids. And so we just, we have never taught a lot on it, but we just felt like we needed to. And I never liked to teach about marriage because I didn't think I was very good at it, <laughs> to be honest with you. I just, it, you know, years ago, you would, uh, we'd been married, I don't know, quite a few years, and they came out with this study, and it said, um, whoever they are and whoever does the study, said they'd done this study, and they can sit a couple down and watch the way they argue or deal with their problems, and if they deal with them a certain way, their marriage isn't going to make it. Well, we'd been married 20 years, and we'd broken that record by, by about 18 because we didn't argue right. And we're both strong-willed. We're both, we hadn't ever had lessons on how you were supposed to argue correctly. <laughs> so... You know, there were a lot of things we just have through the years just kind of learned the way you go. And I think we are like that. But I think the more time goes on and the crazier the world gets, the harder it is. So we just want to address some things and hope they help you. And, and tonight I'm just going to go over three topics and I'm just going to kind of briefly go over them, kind of whet your appetite. And then in the next few months we'll kind of narrow in on them. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your word never returns void or empty, but it accomplishes that thing that it is sent to do. Father God, we send the word into our hearts to change us, Father, to make us more like Jesus. So help us, Father God, tonight hear and receive all that you would have for us. In Jesus' name. So I'm going to talk tonight about three things. And when I did the advertisement, I said we were going to talk about men, kids, and relationships. Because we all have to deal with that no matter what age, no matter what generation you are. And, and we all have to deal with these, those three. But I want to start from the bottom up. We're going to start with relationships. We all deal with relationships. We all have lots of different relationships you have the relationship with your spouse or your boyfriend or your kids or your parents and and they're all a little different but the relationship I want to talk to you about tonight is just your relationship with God because that's where it all starts and the first and foremost thing with any relationship is just you and God and you have to establish a living, breathing, growing relationship with God. Now, I got saved when I was um, 14 or 15. It's been a long time ago. And we lived in the country, and we went to the Methodist church, and we didn't have a lot of good teaching. And I just would go out into the shoulder belt and talk to God. And it was probably the best thing that ever happened to my relationship with God because God taught me, I felt like God taught me how to have a relationship with him. It wasn't somebody else's opinion or idea. It was just 
me and God. And the, the thing about that was it was easy to do because I was alone. I could go out. It was quiet. Nobody was around. And so you just start talking with God. And I was young, and so I didn't know any better, you know. And so I just did that. But then when I went to Oral Roberts University, then it was different because you lived in a dorm with, there were twice as many people in the dorm as there was in the town of Monroe. <laughs> and you always had a roommate sitting there aggravated. You could never get alone. So you had to really, I had to really work at it. And they did have at ORU, they have the prayer tower and then the prayer garden around that's a nice place to go but you can't really get loud and one night I needed to be alone so bad I crawled out on the balcony of the dorm room which was a no because they really weren't made for that and I was 12 stories up and I had to crawl out the window you know but I needed to be alone with God so you know if you want to make the effort you can get alone with God it may not be the the best place but when you have kids in the family that's I think when it really gets tough especially when you have small kids and you just really have to make that effort to do that and the thing is let's look at Acts chapter 3 a couple things I just want to give you pointers I never like to get into anything too really deep to me, if it's it's got to be practical, it's got to be something that I can use, something usable. In Acts chapter two, verse we'll start through verses thirty, and I'll read through thirty-nine. It says, "Therefore, being a prophet, he's talking about David, and knowing that God was sworn with an oath to him." that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on the throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God had raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at the right, my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, for you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Just basic requirement or understanding in having a relationship with God is. God is a three-part being. And we should all know that. But we, you need to think about that. And it talks about all three parts in this scripture. It talks about God, which would be, refer to Father God. It talks about Jesus Christ, the Son. And it talks about the Holy Spirit. God is a three-part being. And the reason we can have relationship with God isn't because of I'm so good or you're so good or you can't have a relationship with God because of your dysfunctional past or of all the bad things you did, the reason you can have a relationship with God is because of Jesus. 
Jesus made it legally right by his death, burial, and resurrection that we can go to the Father in Jesus' name. So no matter what your past is, that's no excuse. Because if you have Jesus in your heart, you can go to the Father. And, and the Father, speak. God will speak to you, and people misunderstand this. It, usually he can, but it usually isn't an audible voice. We are three-part being also. We are spirits, we have souls, that's our mind, will, and emotion, and then we live in a body. But your spirit kind of resides down here. And when you communicate with the Father, the best way is spirit to spirit. And when the Father speaks to you, usually it is just a prompting from down here. And you just have to learn to listen to that. And it takes time. And, you know, I thought about all these years since I was... 15 years old, that's 45 years, I just feel like now maybe I'm getting to know God and maybe I'm getting to understand him. And, and you think, well, 45 years, it's going to take me that. No, but I knew him then, but it just, you get to know better and better and better. So it isn't ever anything you should quit on because you get to know him better. And so I just want to encourage you, you need to develop your own relationship with God. And you have Jesus so you can do it. And you have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, your teacher. And that's basically what I was drawing on when I was a kid because it said the Holy Spirit will teach you. So when you go to talk to God, just very basic, just Father in Jesus' name, that gets you right in the door. You're in the presence of God right there with, at Jesus' name. But also, you know, when you go to God, you should praise him. You should, if there's sin in your life, repent. And then, and then um, I always ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, you're the helper, teach me. Show me what I need to do. Teach me to understand your word. Teach me the ways of God. Help me to pray effectively. And the Holy Spirit is there to do that. So that's really just basic, but... If we don't realize those things, a lot of times we will miss out. It's because it's not, like I said, it has nothing to do with your past, your shortcomings, how good you are, how bad you are. It's because of Jesus that you can have a relationship. And people a lot of times miss the point of all the, they think the Bible and the Word of God are just a lot of do's and don'ts. And I look at it this way. God made the world. He knows how it works. Why shouldn't I find out firsthand from him? Because he knows how it works. He knows how things are to run in order. So obviously if I find out from him and spend time from him, it will help me operate my life more effectively. So these are some practical tips that I want to give you in your relationship with God. Number one, just talk to him and then listen to him. I've been reading a book by John Cook. Does anybody know who John Cook is? The volleyball coach for the University of Nebraska, national champions team. And I'm reading this book by him, and it's a great book. I really like it. It just published last year. And he talked about he's been coaching at Nebraska for years. And he talked about the difference from back then till now. And he said, it used to be we'd get on the bus after a big win and everybody's jumping around and yelling and talking and hashing it over. 
And he said, I noticed in the last few years, everybody would get on the bus and it'd just be, even after a big victory, just be quiet. And I looked and he says, everybody was on their technology texting their parents about the win, but they were not communicating here. And he said, we, so we were having relationship problems on our team. And I thought, this is, of course, I'm an authority. <laughs> but last year, we had the most talented team Nebraska had, super great athletes. But it didn't look to me like maybe they got along the best because they'd flounder once in a while. <laughs> this year, we didn't have near as much talent we won the national championship. And this is what he said they did. It used to be, you know, when you're on a team and, and after you go out to eat and you get a big table in a restaurant and it takes them forever to wait on you because they all get flustered. And he said, we, now we take, we have four coaches and we divide the team in four. One coach will take four or five, another coach will take the other, and we all split up. But those four or five have to sit around the table and we develop relationships and he said they're hungry for it they want it but they don't know now I'm not all against technology it has its merits but if this is all we do we lose this you know we, we lose that connection with other people and that's that's a dangerous thing and and if you know 20 years ago you had trouble having a relationship with God What's it like today? Because you can't have a relationship with God via email, texts, you know, those kinds of things. It has to be one-on-one, -on -one, and that's something that we have to learn to do. So we need to talk and do we, we need to listen. Now, don't get bogged down with a lot of do's and don'ts. Through the years, I've heard all these things. You know, you got to get up before anybody else. It's got to be, you got to do this, you got to do that. God knows who you are. He created you. He knows how you think, why you think that way. Just be honest with him. Just talk to God like you would talk to your best friend. Just one-on-one. -on -one. Tell him what's on your heart. If you think what's on your heart's wrong, then ask him to forgive you and help you to change it. Just real basic, simple things. It doesn't need to be deep. Okay? And then always take time, and this is, this is hard, is to learn to listen. And, you know, you can pray. A lot of times, you know, I'll just, you, you spend time, you read the word, you pray. It's hard to sit there and be quiet. And a lot of times you don't get anything. And a lot of times, you know, if I'm seeking God for something, I'll pray and I'll read and I don't get anything. And so then I just get up and go on my day. And then when I least expect it, I'll get something that comes through here. And I don't know why that is. You know, Mike, have you ever heard him talk about he'll pray and read up here all morning. Then he leaves to come home for lunch and he gets right up here on Channel Road. And it's like, then he gets it. I don't know if it's just you just get still enough and you're not making it happen. And God, So, you know, you can't make it happen with God. You can't force it to happen. But you can put yourself in position to receive. And if you want to hear from God, if you're not hearing a voice, you need to read the word of God. That's the, that is God speaking to you. And God always um, speaks to me. Well, let me go back. 
So when you get alone and get quiet, that's important. But whenever you hear from God or think you hear from God, it needs to line up with the word of God. Okay? And and you need to learn the word. You need to spend some time in the Bible reading because if you don't know the word, that's usually how God speaks to me. I'll just get a scripture or a fragment of a scripture, and then I'll go look it up, and it's kind of answering my question And as I dig into it. So it's important to know the scriptures. But, but we need to learn, as you read God's word and you spend time with God, you learn his character and his nature and what he's like. And so many people have this idea he's unapproachable or he's hard or he made all these rules, you know, because he's just mean and he's hard and it isn't it's because he knows how it works and he wants you to be able to work work it out one thing or four things god is not loony he's not goony he's not loud and obnoxious i'll just tell you that right up i've never seen or been around god where he's weird acting he's not loud he will not force himself on you he's not obnoxious he doesn't shove it down your throat he's usually gentle and the characteristics of God, when you spend time with God, you should experience peace and joy and wisdom and direction and courage and strength and order. It helps, he'll help put things in order in your life. And you might not get it all at once, but you can get to that point and you know that's God. If you're coming away very disturbed, then, then maybe you'd better get back and find out. But just spend time with God. And it, it doesn't have to be weird. It doesn't have to be loud because he's not. Satan likes to show off. He likes to make a spectacle and show off. But God doesn't. He's not loud, obnoxious. Usually it's that still, small voice. So you need to take time every week, preferably every day. Um, like I said, he usually speaks to me through scriptures. A lot of times I get examples. If he's trying to show me something, and it usually, for me, it comes usually through two things, sports and nature, because that's what he knows I like, and I get it. And so that's where he speaks to me. And if you like music, you know, he's God will come down to your level. Because it's hard for us to go up to his level. He'll come down to our level. And so we just need to be real and honest. But it just, what it really comes down to is we need to, to take the time and just have some quiet time. It doesn't have to be a lot. A lot of people, you know, you think you got to read through the Bible in a year. And that takes three chapters in the Old Testament. I've very seldom ever done that. I like to take no more than a chapter a day. And if I get stuck on one verse, that's just where I stay until I get everything I feel like and then go on. I think we make it too legalistic and too hard. Our relationship, like I said before, with God should be just like it is with the friend that you're most comfortable with. Somebody you can talk to and you can listen. And, and that's how you develop the relationship. And, you know, an intimate relationship doesn't come overnight but it gets better all the time, so you need to stay after it. Now, if you get your relationship with God right, it makes a difference in every other relationship in your life because he'll help the heart and he'll help bring understanding and just help make 
corrections in your life and things that you need to adjust and tweak. And, and like I said, he brings joy and peace. And if those things are in order in your life, the relationships are going to follow. So too many people try to have the relationship with a, you know, a spouse or a kid and then with God. It needs to be God, and then that should spill over into your other relationships. So let's go to the next relationship is men and marriage. Like I said, I've never liked teaching about marriage. It just, I just didn't ever feel like I was in a groove. I didn't feel like I was good at it. It's been difficult, put it that way. Two strong personalities that don't know how to argue right, it's been difficult. And I think people don't tell you that, you know. <laughs> you know, when... I went, when, before Caleb was born, I went to the, the Lamas classes and they tell you all how to breathe and breathe. Nobody ever told me, or I missed it, that you had to push. And so when it got to the point of the push, it was like, nobody ever told me about this. Well, it's kind of like that with marriage, you know. Oh, it's wonderful. Oh, it's so romantic. It's so, did anybody sit down and say, it's going to be? <laughs> it's going to be tough. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You're going to have to work through some things. And I get, do you, does anybody know who Sandra Day O'Connor is? Sandra Day O'Connor was the first woman that was appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. She was graduated third in her class from Stanford Law School. She had all these positions. Uh, and she was appointed to the Supreme Court unanimously. That's unheard of. So she'd been married. Her husband died in 2009, and I heard her make this statement. Somebody said, out of all your years of law school and law and Supreme Court, what's the number one accomplishment of your life? She says that I stayed married to the same man for 57 years. Made me feel better. It wasn't just, it, it's, it's good, but it isn't easy. Anything, you know, you've got to work some things out. And like I said, nobody ever taught us how to argue correctly. It's not easy. Marriage takes effort. It takes hard work. It takes self-sacrifice, and it takes a few miracles along the way to make it. And divorce isn't an end-all. You know, God's not going to, sometimes it happens, but but, um, you know, it just, it's not an easy thing. And to make it, it's a good thing. Because, you know, and I think this is where it's so different now. And just like, I don't know, I looked at all my old aunts and uncles, and it just seemed easier for them. I, I don't think they had all the pressures. And they just, you know, and I'm sure it wasn't easier. They had other things they went through. But there is so much pressure right now in the marriage and in the family that I think it takes a little extra effort. So if you're not married, let me give you this advice. If you aren't sure, just take time to make sure. It isn't, you don't have to rush into it. People get, we live in a society that everything is a rush, we're in a hurry. Just take your time. Make sure you hear from God. Make sure your relationship with God is in place first. And then, you know, Take time, develop relationship with that person, and don't get in such a rush. 
and here's the big thing. When people come like to Mike or for marriage counseling, the word submission is always brought up. And that's always, you can just sit down and you can just feel every word, you know, submission, submission. And that word is a real stumbling block, I think, in marriages today. And let, get, get this point, you are never, ever required to submit to abuse or ungodliness. Never, ever. And because there's a lot of submission things that aren't taught right in the church. I knew a woman, and she, her husband was assaulting the daughters, abusing the daughters, molesting the daughters, just unbelievable. And she let him do it because she had to be submissive to her husband. That's not submission. That's stupidness, okay? You never have to submit to abuse or neglect. But for a guideline in marriage, let's turn to Romans chapter 12. It does talk about women being submitted to man. And Romans chapter 12, 9 through 18, you know, you can go and read in Paul back in, in Timothy and some of them and how he talks about the role of the woman. And people, the guys can get real hung up on that. <laughs> okay? But let's look at this. It says, let love be without hypocrisy or false pretense. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, be of the same mind toward one another, do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, do not be wise in your own opinion, repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Now, to me, that in my Bible, it says behave like a Christian. To me, I think that should apply all the way around. That should be a guideline for marriage. If we could keep that in marriages, that kind of attitude, that would deal with it. That would take care of it. But it all it talks about being being submitted to one another in love. And that's really what a, a marriage needs to be like. But on the other hand, there has to be order in a marriage for it to work. And this is the best way I can understand submission in the marriage and how I can describe it. Remember, God always talks to me through sports illustrations. Family should be a team, and the team has to work together. And one of the worst things that can happen in a team is somebody plays a position that isn't their position. You have, in other words, you have to learn to play your position and play it right. In volleyball, we're talking about volleyball. If the net's here, the hardest spikes are going to come from the left front hitter because if you understand physics, they've got the power shot. 
And so the only place they can hit if the blockers are in place is a straight line right here to the left back defender. That's where I always play. That's where the libero plays now because that is the hard shot. And I was short and you're a little quicker, more agile. That shot's going to come here. It can't wave much. Then your big taller person plays the center back because they have a long reach this way and this and they get kind of the weird shots that maybe I'll have a little arch on it. And then, so then the person up here, it's a spiker, drops back and this person has the short shot right here. So each person, this person has this area, that person has this and this person has this hard shot. Now the problem is a lot of times, especially this person up here, doesn't feel like this person is in the right place. And what they do is right at the last moment when you're ready to get that hit, they'll reach out and it fouls everything up. Because they, and then if a short shot comes, they're going to miss it because they're over here playing this position. And so many times in our relationships, especially marriages and families, we try to play somebody's position other than our own. And we need to learn to just play our position and play that position well. And the key is learning to trust that person enough to know that they're going to play their position and I've got to play my position. And I think that's what submission is. We've got to learn to play our position and play it well. And that allows your husband, your spouse, whoever, to then play their position and play it well. And you just can't worry about if they're not playing it. That's the coach's responsibility. That's God's responsibility. But if I try to play my position at the best that I can, it should motivate and encourage him to play his position at the be best that he can. Does that make sense to you? So, so the basic description of submission in the family is teamwork. And everyone needs to play their position to the best of their ability. Husbands cannot command submission. That's what happens a lot of times, especially in religious settings. That has, you will submit to me. Submission can't be ordered. It has to be given. And so you have to, to decide whether you're going to submit to that. You have to, will I follow his leadership? So wives have to choose to play their position and not someone else's. We went to the movie the other night, um, Darkest Hour. It's about Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill, right before... Hitler was coming across Europe and, and invading all these countries. And they were, England was next, and they knew it. And they had a weak prime minister that was passive, that didn't want to stand up and fight. And so they got rid of him. And they didn't know who else to put, and so the only one they could agree on was Winston Churchill. And Winston Churchill was rude and abrasive, and he drank an awful lot, and he smoked big stogies, and a lot of people didn't like him, but they felt like he was the only guy for the job. Well, I didn't really realize this, but even though they elected him, he had to officially be appointed by the king. 
So they talked to the king, and the king didn't like him either. But he said, what else are we going to do? We've got to do something. So Churchill has to go in and see the king, and he has to make the official appointment. So you can see in the movie, the king's over here, and Churchill walks in about this far. And he couldn't go in any further until that king summoned him in. And they walked in, and they had their little discussion, and the king basically said, you know, I don't like the idea of making you, but I have no other choice, so I appoint you prime minister. And they said, okay, that was easy, that's it. And so Churchill's getting ready to leave, and the king puts his hand out like this. And Churchill had to take it and kiss it. <laughs> yeah. And then he couldn't leave until the king said, you know, go. And then he had to back out like this. Yeah. It, we don't, in America, we don't stop and think of that. We don't stop and think of being submissive like that, being under that kind of authority. And that would really grate me. But what happened was Churchill loved that country enough that he knew it had to get done. <laughs> and so he swallowed his pride and did it. And by the end of the, well, even before Germany completely invaded or attacked England, the king and Winston developed a good relationship. But it all started with him doing it in orderly fashion. And, you know, there may be things we don't like, but if we serve with a heart because we love God, we want to do things right. And so it always helps to have that relationship in order. And it's a choice we have to make. And if God wants you to make it, he'll help you do it. Now, I don't think it should ever be browbeaten. And I think, you know, most instances you can work it out. And you say, well, what if my husband wasn't even saved? You know, my dad wasn't saved till he was 75. But my mom, they always got along and my mom was saved, and it, it, it can be done, but it's something we have to work at, and I'm just encouraging you, you have to work at relationships, especially with that marriage. It's important um, to make the effort, it, but if you can think of it as about, I'm doing my part. There are just things I do. You know, we've been married 36 years. There's just things now that we just take each other for granted for. There's things I'm better at. There's things he's better at. But once in a while, we have to come together and have a meeting and, and work it out. And ultimately, we'll follow his lead as long as he's following God. Doesn't mean he doesn't annoy me sometimes, okay? And doesn't mean I don't annoy him sometimes. But we determined we're going to work it out. So I just encourage you those things. Husbands cannot command submission. You have to choose to give it to them. Um, Respect a husband, that's a big thing. We'll talk about that more. Now, the children. Part number three, children. With your children, this is where when my, the boy, Caleb was four when my mom died, and Micah wasn't even born, and that's probably the biggest, one of the biggest areas I've missed my mom, just to have somebody to go and bounce things off of. And I think we're missing that when the generations don't cross lines. We need each other. And, and I was, you know, I missed having her advice and her opinion on some things. But all I have to say with children, especially if you've got little ones, 
think investment. Don't spend so much of your time and effort taking out or taking away. Grounding serves a purpose, but not much. Okay? In Ephesians chapter 6, 4, it says to bring up the children in the training and the admonition of the Lord. And you have to understand, like we talked about, God is a three-part being. We're a three-part being. Children are three-part beings. They are spirits. They have souls. And they live in bodies. And we are good about feeding their bodies usually. But we need to remember that we have to feed their soul and their spirit. Now, a lot of Christians will just try to feed their spirit and force things down their throats spiritually. And that isn't the best. But they'll leave out the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And those things have to be developed also. We have to feed children in all three areas of their lives. Instead of taking out, we have to feed them and put something in, invest them. And look at that scripture in Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 4. It's talking about honoring your father and mother. This is what it's telling the children, and it may be well with you. And then it goes on in verse 4. And you... Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. It talks specifically here about fathers. I heard a thing. It says, why is it that mothers, when they're raising their kids, and the kids go to school, they know the mothers know who the teacher is. They know what classes they're taking. They know what their grades are. They know who their best friends are. They know who they hate who they don't get along with. The mother knows all these things, and the father vaguely knows that there's some little person running around in the house. <laughs> That's about it. Why is that? It just mothers seem to be more naturally inclined to be attentive to those things and grasp them where men aren't. But children need men in their lives. And this is something we're going to really spend time on later because... There is kind of a, between us, there's kind of a masculine masculinity gap in the United States right now. We need some real men to stand up and be men. And I believe that it's a major responsibility of mothers of sons to encourage their sons and train their sons to grow up to be men. And one of the ways you do that is you've got to let go of them and let them go with their dads. You know, they just need men time. They need to spend time with men. And it doesn't have to be just like I said the other day. It doesn't have to be just sitting around holding hands, having a Bible study. They just need to get out and do men things. And that's how they're going to grow in character. And girls need men too. And so we have to allow men opportunities to spend time with the kids and, and allow them to to rub off on the kids a little bit. It's important that you don't shove things down their throat, especially religion. I hate anything shoved down my throat, but we need to invest your time and your love in them. It's important. I believe it's really important to have fun together. And it's important. One of the things, you know, they talk about it. It sounds kind of rote, but you need to sit down and have meals together. And I couldn't believe when Caleb was in high school, he said, I think 
of all my friends, all in the football team, I'm the only one in this group that ever sits down and has a meal with our family. And I found that hard to believe because there were some good families represented. And he said, but they just all go here and there and everybody grabs it. And we've just enjoyed the time sitting with our fam being together as a family when we eat. There's something bonding about eating together. And granted, you can't do it all the time. And here again, it shouldn't be stuffy. When, when Michael was just little and dad lived at the meadows, we'd bring him home to eat all the time. And we wanted to keep my dad happy. We liked to make him laugh. So we got in the bad habit of just letting Micah do anything because Micah made my dad laugh. He would get up and dance on the chair and it'd go to the table in his diapers and anything to make my dad laugh. That was fine with us. And so after my dad was gone, we kind of had to sit him down and retrain them all. But on the other hand, it was a lot of fun. And so we've always kind of maintained that. We just goof off a lot together and have fun together. And, and um, that's important. And because I just, I look back at the families, we don't realize how much things have changed culturally from culturally just from 20 years ago, but they really have. The family was so much more intact, spent so much more time together. And one of the big, big problems, I believe, is when kids spend all their time with other kids, they never get a viewpoint of somebody that's been around the block a few more times. They need to spend time with grandparents. They need to let some of that wisdom rub off. They need that time with older generations. And I th older generations need some time with the younger ones because it keeps some life in them and it keeps them current on some things. And like Mike talked about, so many funerals anymore, you look, they just, you know, we'll have a graveside memorial in two months. There's just no connections anymore. And I think it's very important that we really work on connections uh, with your family, with your relationships, with spouses. Those things are all important. So those, I just wanted to hit on those three. And we'll probably just go, I just was kind of overwhelmed by so much material. And so I just kind of wanted to give kind of an overview and just some pointers. And um, I hope that helps you. And I just would encourage you, you know, we're going to next time not do it on a Wednesday night. We're going to do it on a Sunday morning and just split up. And so um, between now and then, spend some time with God. Spend some time in the Word. Spend some time with your spouse or your significant other. Work on the relationship. But spend some time with the kids and invest in them. Put something into them instead of just trying to take things away all the time. So that's all I have. I hope that was helpful. So, Father God, we thank you for this night. I ask that you bless these people exceedingly abundantly above all that they can ask or think in Jesus' name. Thank you for coming. a little longer than I
I expected. Sorry, but you can go. That's all right. The kids, guys can take care of the kids.